Cormac Ryan for three. Side iron miss. Rebounded by Joseph for Miami. And the Canes could take the lead right here. Poplar has it in the lane. A scoop to the hoop. Got it. And he's fouled. Give him one more. Miami takes the lead. It hijacks the momentum. Listen to this crowd at the Wasco Center. And a very pleasant good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Hurricane Hotline, a Monday edition. A wild game at the Watsco Center on Saturday. Canes played hard, played valiant, valiant effort. Came up a little bit short in a uh, heck of a basketball game. And on the road, leaving tomorrow for the entire week for Clemson. And then on to Boston College. So, big week coming up for the UM. And joining us now, University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega. Coach L, good evening. How are you? Hi, Joe. Uh, I'm good. I'm kind of recovering from Saturday's game, but, uh, you know, hopefully we can get back on the winning track this week. Yeah. What, what did you um, what'd you take away from the game on Saturday? The effort was really good. I think there are a few controversial plays we'll get to, but um, effort was great. But there was a little low there in the second half that probably uh, put the game or shifted the game toward North Carolina. Well, first of all, the crowd was absolutely great. You know, the fans cheered wildly. It was a sellout crowd. Uh, the environment was terrific. <clears throat> and we'd like to have that every night. Um, second, uh, we got off to a slow start in both halves. In the first half, we fell behind by 10 early on. They got to 15 points, Joe, after five minutes. If that pace had continued, they would have scored 120. But our defense and our offense uh, got better. Uh, we slowed them down a good bit, and we were able to get our offense going. Northside O'Meara and Nigel Pack were absolutely sensational in the first half, and uh, we ended up taking a one-point lead into the locker room. Unfortunately, the same thing happened in the second half where uh, we got off to a slow start, and Carolina really caught fire, and we ended up again trailing by 10 and having to fight our way back. And we got to the point where uh, the game, there was about three minutes left, and uh, I told the coaches, uh, I need to call a timeout. This is a must stop. They were up seven, Carolina was, and if they scored and went up nine or ten, <clears throat> I thought that would have been uh, too, too uh, steep a mountain to climb. So I called a timeout, took Nigel Pack out, who had hurt his knee, and so he's not able to defend as well as he normally can. Put, put uh, Ja'Kai Robinson in, who's played very sparingly throughout the season, but he's one of the healthier guys we have. Put him in, and we got the stop. And not only did we get the stop, we, we were able to score, and we got Nigel Pack in, and we kept cutting the lead. We were only down two with the ball underneath our basket. And, and then uh, Carolina got a stop and uh, were able to make some free throws. So we put ourselves in position, Joe. Uh, would have liked to have finished that one, but, but unfortunately weren't able to do it. Yeah, there are a lot of things about that game that I think were a little frustrating. Um, maybe I'll walk down this road a little bit. You scored – 38 points in the paint. You went to the free throw line 14 times. They scored 24 points in the paint. Went to the free throw line 24 times. 
you foul, you are top five in fewest fouls uh, this season, fewest fouls during a game. They attempt the most free throw attempts in the ACC. They go to the line 24 times, which was the most of any team this season. Yeah, that's unfortunate uh, for us. Uh, I'd like to get to the foul line more, and I certainly like that we're top five in the country and not fouling. Uh, but, uh, you know, you got to give Carolina some credit. I actually thought the game was officiated uh, better than some of the others that we've had, where I thought the physicality uh, was a lot of fouls. Uh, so, you know, you got to kind of, as a player, play through it, and as a coach, not worry about it. And, uh, you know, I think our guys did a good job. Um, and we need to be more physical. We're not a very big team, so we need to fight uh, like crazy to keep other teams from getting in the paint. I thought North Shadow Mears' defense on Armando Baycott was tremendous. He denied him several times. He fronted him. We had help from behind. Uh, the only disappointing thing is when he ball screened and rolled, we didn't give North Shad enough help. And he was able to score not against Norshad, but as a role man. And that means the help defense wasn't wasn't there, and we needed to be better. And uh, Norshad, he plays he plays well against Baycott. Uh, Baycott fouled out again. I think it's the second time or third time you fouled him out. Why do you think Norshad? He does play well against guys like Baycott. He plays well against everybody, but uh, guys like Baycott or P.J. Hall, he, he, those bigger physical players, he, he gives them fits. Okay, now, Joe, it, it really, in, in the North Carolina situation, it really has to do with their style of defense. And I'll make the comparison between North Carolina and Virginia. Virginia plays a defense called the pack, meaning they pack it in around the paint. And so there's very little room for, for Norshad O'Meer to work. Against North Carolina, they're a pressure team. So they go out and they pressure uh, players on the perimeter, which means there's a lot more space in the paint for Norshad to work. And if you recall, on Saturday, Norshad drove the ball a lot. He'd catch it at the elbow and drive it to the paint and score. Whereas against teams that are in the pack, there's no room to do that. There's three or four players in the paint to greet you. So each opponent is different, and we've got to take advantage of when Norshad has an opportunity to to attack like we did on on Saturday. Um, The health of your team after Saturday's game, as we get ready to embark on a on a week-long road trip here at Clemson and Boston College, a couple of big games. How do you feel about uh, the health of your team? Well, I was happy today that we had, you know, of our 11 scholarship players, all 11 practiced. Oh, good. So that is rare. And um, so hopefully that's a good sign for tomorrow and then especially for the, the road trip. And, uh, Joe, you're aware that we're leaving a little bit later tomorrow. Yes. Do you know that? Yes. Yes, I do. Yep. Uh, so 
The schedule is a little different. We won't get to Clemson until, you know, 7 or 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Uh, have a, a nice meal and a team meeting and then play on Wednesday night and then uh, fly to Boston on Thursday, practice at Boston College on Friday, play Boston College 4 o'clock on Saturday, and then come home. It's the one thing I say about college basketball that's so different than many of the sports, especially when you compare it to football. Football plays only during the first semester and only on weekends, whereas, you know, we're, we're playing um, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, and two of those games are on the road. So we're, we're going to be leaving on Tuesday. You're missing classes. Don't come back till, till the following Monday. Oh, it's a challenge. Yep. We'll look ahead to Clemson here in a moment. Um, just wrapping up a little bit on Carolina. The uh, I thought the effort of your team was really, really good. I thought that was a that was a really a high level ACC game. Well, I think uh, we have enough talent when we're healthy to play with anybody. I talked to the team about that when we played Clemson the first time, Joe. We we had nineteen assists and only nine turnovers. But since that time, we've been over-dribbling and shooting too many shots off the dribble. And as a result, our offense has has not scored nearly as effectively or efficiently as we did against them. And we've got to get back to doing what we're good at and avoid the things we're not as good at. Yeah, um, and and some of those things when you're when you're sharing the ball, you're really good on offense. Well, that's what assist means. Nineteen assists. We we want sixteen or more. We got nineteen the first time. Only nine turnovers. Our goal is ten or less, and uh, but we haven't been able to do that not consistently. So um, um, the, the, the North. The the North Chad technical how th- that was kind of a big swing right that was you know, games that t- they get four points out of that the game ends up being a three point game yeah uh, I I can't really comment I wasn't there uh, I, the official told me why he called it I can't argue with the guy he'd already made the call and it doesn't matter now uh, the the call is over with. I actually think that's the first time we ever had that official. And I thought he did a really good job. I I, I would have uh, liked to have him more often because I think he called some of the fouls that, that other officials have been passing on. Yeah. And, and then it did have a crazy, I only bring this up because I think our, uh, the audience and everybody's confused at the end, they called a lane violation, which I've never Actually, Coach, I've never seen one like that where the lane violation is on a player going inside the three-point line. I thought it was pretty good on the so rules, but I've never Joe, seen one like that. And I I, uh, I understand it. The players who are lined up on the free-throw lane, as soon as the ball's released, they can go into the, the paint. The players who are outside and on the three-point circle – they have to wait until the ball hits the, the rim. And so um, we set that up for Wilger Poplar to try to miss it to the left. 
And he did. It was absolutely a perfect miss. <laughs> it was. And, and then Matt took off and almost had it completely, but the Carolina player knocked it out of bounds, and it would have been our ball. But the official called a violation because he left too soon. And uh, so it's a violation. He called it. I think you rarely see that. Rarely. And uh, it would have been great if he uh, missed the call, which they missed plenty. And we would have had the ball underneath with a chance to tie. Well, I think you described that perfectly. It was a perfect miss. And, um, oh, well, um, got to keep, keep on going. Um, next up is Clemson. And as you mentioned, we leave tomorrow a little bit later. They've won two in a row. They uh, beat Carolina, then went on the road and beat Syracuse. So they're playing at a really good level right now. Well, you know, um, I think Joe Lenardi has them projected to play in the NCAA tournament because and the, the way this works now, Joe, it's almost more important to play well in the non-conference than it is to play in the conference. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you, you look at, at the standings, uh, Clemson is in seventh place right now, and yet they're projected to be in, in the dance. Uh, whereas uh, teams that are in front of them are, are not. And it's all because in the non-conference, uh, if you get good quad one wins, uh, you know, Clemson, Clemson has some good wins. They beat Alabama at Alabama. All right? They beat South Carolina. Uh, they, they, they've got a, a, a win now over North Carolina. So their, their wins, I guess, are considered pretty good. So uh, that's why it'd be great for us to get a win over Clemson. It'd be the second time we beat them. And again, we got to be healthy. And hopefully we will be on Wednesday. See, I think if you get – I still think there's a lot – a season left. And, of course, um, I think if you get healthy, you become like the Miami Heat last year. You, you get healthy, you make a run. Because now February and March becomes like the playoffs. So where all the yep. games are so vitally important. And you've got some huge games coming up. And that's how I feel. I mean, we still have Duke and Carolina uh, right. coming up. And we got Duke at home and at Carolina. Those are both quad one wins if you win them. And, uh, you know, some of these others, Clemson is a quad one. So where you play them is important. Home, it, you have to beat a top 30 team. If it's on a neutral side, a top 50 team. But on the road, it's a top 75 team. So – in our league, the uh, league is really unfairly criticized because of what the net is saying. The net is the computer rankings of how they, how they determine the quads. And the net values how many you win by. So the highest jump we've had this year is after we beat Stonehill by 40. And I'm like, so we beat a very bad team, and that's why we move up? 
whereas we beat Georgia and Kansas State, and we don't jump up much because those were close games. Right. It's it's mind-boggling to me. Some say the Big 12, that's been their their path to success, is that teams in the Big 12 have a lot of uh, wins over quad four teams by big amounts. Big blowouts over yeah. quad four teams that they solve them. They solve the net by scheduling that way, and it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. The SEC is supposed to get like eight or nine teams in. When we went head to head with the eight, uh, with the SEC, there were fourteen games played, and we went seven and seven. Right. So if they're getting seven or eight teams, we should be getting seven or eight teams. The teams that won and beat the SEC. You know, Clemson, they beat Alabama at Alabama. That's why they're being given so much credit. And so, well, what about those other teams that won? You know, you you tend to think that the computer rankings really are correct. And I can tell you this, they're not. Uh, You really have to dig deeper into the numbers. And uh, unfortunately, that's not been the case. Yeah, or dig into the... Just digging into the games and the quality of play and quality of players that you're going up against every single night. Well, one of the things I used to laugh at is is they said the eye test. Teams that would walk through an airport with all these seven-footers and really tall guys, and they say, oh, they're a really good basketball team. They passed the eye test. I said, well, our Miami teams have never passed the eye test because we're, we're short. They're not as big. And people think, oh, they're not very big, so they can't be any good. But our final 14, the tallest starter was like 6'7". Not even. <laughs> I think the tallest starter was actually 6'5 and a half, North Shadow Mir. Oh, that, that's the problem. Uh, it, it, a lot of it has to do with the quality of your players and how well they play together. So last year, we won the ACC regular season. And we, we end up getting to the Final Four. Now, this year, we're picked in the, in the preseason polls in the top ten and number two in the league. But we're not the same team. And we haven't been healthy, so even this year's team is not the same team it would be if we were healthy throughout the season. So there's a lot of things that have gone wrong for us that health would correct if we, and we could get on a roll Right now, if we could stay healthy. Yeah, this is also uh, uh, new territory for uh, fan base coming off a Final Four team. And you also had the player of the year last season in Isaiah Wong, who, you know, sensational for four years, but especially last year. I think uh, probably right whenever you need a, a big play, you'd be able to look over at Zay and Usually he would deliver if it wasn't someone else, but uh, that was a pretty good option for you. Well, I think Isaiah and Jordan Miller were terrific seniors who were very determined after making a run to the uh, Elite Eight to say, hey, we can get to the Final Four. All right? And uh, when we played uh, Houston and Texas in the NCAA tournament, both those teams – were uh, seated higher than us. And, you know, I think Houston um, was number one in the country 
for a good portion of last season. And we in the ACC weren't even considered that good because the ACC is overrated or uh, considered not that good a league anymore. And when we played them, had they been in our league, they wouldn't have finished number one and and won our league. Our league was better than, than people realized. No, and uh, unfortunately, we got to deal with the reality that the committee makes the decisions. Well, um, no question about that. Uh, all right, Coach, uh, I'm a little uh, injured here, but I'm going to play on Wednesday. I'm a little hoarse. I will be ready to go in the starting lineup, the broadcasting lineup on Wednesday. All right, Joe, so I'll be ready to go too. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. All right. All right, that's University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega joining us on the show. Uh, when I see Coach Laranega tomorrow, I'll leave my uh, humble abode here in Broward and head out, head out onto uh, 75 and then the Palmetto in my Williamson Cadillac XT4. It'll be a smooth, quiet, luxurious drive. I'll enjoy it. And it's tough to enjoy driving in South Florida, but – should you uh, purchase a vehicle from Williamson Cadillac, you will enjoy it from start to finish. The purchase, and then you'll really enjoy the ride. Williamson Cadillac, they've been in business for over 50 years. They're our neighbors. They're our friends. They built a loyal client base by staying focused on the customer experience. Customers are treated like family at Williamson. So enjoy world-class customer service when you purchase a new Cadillac from Williamson Cadillac. New vehicles are arriving every single day at Williamson. The CT4, CT5, XT5, XT6, and the all-new electric Lyric. Get the most out of the South Florida lifestyle in a new Cadillac from your premier luxury dealership located on US1, just south of the Palmetto, Williamson Cadillac, Williamson is Miami.